Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers. You know, I have a brother of ours, someone who is the author of a heck of a lot of joy in our world. Long Beach Grand Prix does not exist without this man, Chris Pook, who has a mighty fine book that has just become available, Chris Pook, in the history of the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. This was meant to be unveiled right now at this amazing event that is just a bedrock piece of our lives. We're going to talk about the book in a minute, Chris, but tell us about this odd time where you and I should be having this conversation face-to-face in Long Beach. Well, Marshall, first of all, thank you for the kind introduction. Um, obviously, this is we're, we're, we're in a different time, a different year, a different place, all of us, including everybody that's listening to this podcast. We... Uh, and who would have thought that, you know, in our lifetimes, we would be um, living under this uh, aura of social distancing and uh, walking around with masks on all the time, like racing drivers used to wear around their faces back in the 50s and the 60s. But uh, it's, it's an unusual time, and uh, I think that we all have to make the most of it. Um, I'm obviously very heartbroken that this will be the first year since... 1975, we will not have had a Grand Prix in Long Beach, but on the other hand, uh, Long Beach is not alone. There are many venues that don't have their races and Grand Prix. And uh, it's a sad time for motorsports. It's a sad time for all sports. But uh, you know what? We've uh, got to strap on the the armament that says, you know, we're going to get through this all together and uh, we're going to do the right thing and uh, be positive and be uplifting and uh, keep putting the left foot in front of the right and the right foot in front of the left. Well, amen to that brother, Chris. So this thing we've been doing during this virus and the shelter in home, the social distancing, it's been one of distraction, education, amusement. And that's why I love the timing of the book because Boy, we sure need this one right now. I should mention before we get into some of it, just to share some of the insights, 320 pages before we started recording and gave you a hard time. I'm like, you should have warned me. Like I should have been working out the last couple of weeks on my biceps because trying to pick up this brick of a book. There's a little bit of a challenge there, but kidding aside, 320 pages. This is no, this is not a breeze, uh, a light reflection. This is some serious in-depth work done by the legendary Gordon Kirby, uh, one of the deans of American motor racing journalism. I believe he produces one new book every week. That's what it feels like. It's a little bit silly, but Gordon has been the person documenting and presenting the world in history of motor racing for amazingly long time. In this instance, Chris, dating back to the first Long Beach Grand Prix in 1976, which makes him the perfect author for it. He obviously having a great relationship with the fine folks at Racemaker Press. So this as well, uh, if you head to racermerch, R-A-C-E-R-M-E-R-C-H dot com, we have this book sitting there waiting for you and ready to go. And I know you said that you will be signing uh, any and all books sold through Racer. So that is pretty awesome. 
let's get into this, Chris. This starts off, uh, which I'm actually really happy to have read. It isn't just year one Long Beach Grand Prix. It's getting to know you a little bit, getting to know your background. Tell me about that decision, working with Gordon on filling in the, the origins of the man that we all know who has created so much, but we know the creations more than the man. Well, Gordon, he wanted to understand um, where the harebrained idea came from and how sort of my mind worked in coming up with this scheme uh, back in uh, the the actual first thought process occurred in 1973. But he was interested in sort of digging deeper. And uh, he knew I was from England. Uh, so he he basically said, you know, somewhere along the line, there's there's got to be some evidence that that uh, you think a little bit differently out of the box when it comes to uh, comes to sort of these business ventures. And so that's why he said, well, why don't we just why don't you just tell me about you know the, the early days you can remember doing stuff and how you really uh, sort of came to like the automobile as we knew it. So that, that basically that, that took us back to, uh, to Ibsley Aerodrome in, uh, in 19, uh, about 1948, I think it was a 49 when I saw my first motor car race, having already, um, having already got in, uh, involved in what is known over here as soapbox derbies, but we had a different version over there. And, and so I'd, I had a, always had an affinity for wheels and, and pushing the envelope a, little, envelope a little bit. So that's how it really all started. He wanted to know about all that stuff. So, you know, we spent some time talking about that. And and then sort of my my love for horses uh, when I was a young guy. Um, and Daddy wanted to know about that and how that all sort of fitted in. And so it, it really is a story that, you know, about me and right after the war, in England, you know, the war ended in 1945 in England and sort of that I was four years old then, didn't really remember much. Um, but then, uh, you know, I grew up in those post-war years and then uh, I tested my parents probably as any parents would ever have been tested and they finally made, folded me down and sent me off to the proper boarding school <laughs> where I had to behave myself. And uh, there you are. And I soon uh, started you know, as I as I got old, got older, and I went to work as in a merchant bank in London, I realized that um, that I really uh, I wanted to broaden my life and try new things. And uh, when I was at the Sorbonne, I bumped into a bunch of American kids that were there, and uh, understood and learned their lifestyle. And basically, said to myself, you know what? This is pretty tough over here in Europe. I might as well go and try it in America. So that's when I went to America in 1963, or came to America in 1963. So that, and I never looked back. I mean, I've, the, this country has been absolutely magnificent and wonderful to me, and uh, I can't think of a, a, a better place to live. Well, we're not going to dive into every chapter. We're really not meant to. We're genuinely just hoping you buy it because it's. It has become an all-consuming thing for me to try and digest since it arrived here a few days ago. Let's move to the big pivotal moment, Chris, where your actions brought you to prominence in the world of motor racing. This idea you had a few years before the inaugural Long Beach Grand Prix in 75, you realized you, simply heading into local government buildings, 
local Long Beach offices to talk to mayors and whatnot and saying you would like to do something probably wasn't going to get the job completely done. You thought of uh, the mayor of motor racing (laughs) might be a very pivotal and influential person to help in bringing this street race to life. Tell us about the decision to call the Big Eagle and his initial reception and this starting to gain momentum. Well, basically, when I launched the idea of of, uh, copying Monte Carlo, really, that's all we did. Um, uh, When I launched the idea of that, and then the city folks sort of looked at me and said, well, sort of what qualifications do you have to do something like that? Obviously, uh, I had not thought that one through thoroughly. And uh, I said, well, um, you know what? Um, I'll get, I'll uh, try and get Dan Gurney involved here and see uh, if uh, he'll uh, he'll help with this project. And it was strictly just off, you know, the right off the, the seat of my pants. I came out with that, blurted out that comment to them, and then they that was a magic name to them. And and uh, uh, I, you know, I they said, well, okay, let's 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 get him in here and see what he has to think. So. You know, there was the, the, the I was really uh, at that point, if you will, the the bluff was almost called, mm. and uh, so I just made the call to Dan, and he listened for a few minutes, and he says, "Well, that sounds exciting." He says, uh, "Why don't you come talk to me some more about it?" So there you are, and in the, the woman, car, the woman who answered um, the phone as well when you made that first call, wanted you she, to confirm what it what you were asking about as well. Yes, that, that was Kathy Nealon, right? Yes, uh, Kathy White. Still with All American Races. Yeah, she answered the phone and said, well, "Can I tell Mr. Gurney what this is about?" So I said, "Yeah, it's about turning the streets of Long Beach into a Formula One Grand Prix circuit." And she said, "Could you just repeat that one more time for me?" <laughs> so <laughs> I repeated it, and she just said, "Well, one moment." I and then that's I what sat, she said, "Yeah." And I and I sort of sat there thinking, oh my gosh, you know, uh, what's going to happen now? And uh, then all of a sudden, the phone just lit up with, uh, "Was uh, this is Dan Gurney? What can I do for you?" <laughs> From there onwards, uh, he was on board, totally on board. So, and uh, where does this and, go? Because you have this amazing ally, but it, again, it's not as if. The city of Long Beach just says the the red carpet's been rolled out for you. Do as you please. This was not the easiest thing to make happen, even with the Big Eagle on your side. No, I mean we had to. You know, we 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 obviously had to convince the city that this was the right thing to do to get publicity and 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 interest in the city. And you know, as as I explain in the book, the Long Beach had lots of issues in those days and. And um, it was trying to reinvent itself. So, uh, you know, just copying Monte Carlo was a good way to go. But but, but Dan sort of guided us through the, the process and, and stayed with us, even through the, the trials and tribulations. I mean, I can't tell you, Marshall, how many times this event died and it was, you know, it was brought back to life uh, as, as over the years. And, as, and, and, and then, and of course I, I do spend some time in the book talking about that, but Dan was there all the way. And, and I, I, I mean, it's, 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 it's very sad because, um, you know, uh, today is the 16th of April and, and the 13th of April was Dan's birthday. 
Yeah. So we would have had, we would have been celebrating Dan's birthday three days ago, and there would not be a um, there would not have been a Grand Prix in Long Beach uh, if it had not been for for Daniel Sexton Gurney and his commitment and his enthusiasm and his laugh, his boyish grins all the time, and and uh, you, you know if, I almost liken it, Marshall, to it was just another opportunity for for Dan to push the envelope. You know, if he wasn't pushing an envelope driving a car or wasn't pushing the envelope designing a car, here was an opportunity to push the envelope by designing a street circuit uh, in the heart of an American city. And that's where we went with him, you know, and the city, I mean, he, he's, he's, he was such a charming guy and such a personality and magnetic type guy that uh, he, you know, he, he wooed, the, he didn't have to woo the politicians he uh, he 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 just naturally spoke to them, and they were kind of in awe, you know, as as he talked and and explained to them. And as were uh, we all. yeah, exactly. I mean, they just you know, the people just just you know followed. They fell in line and followed what he suggested and what had to get done. And and um, you know, as 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 you will read, we had we had city folks working on the engineering drawings for the circuit on their own time all night long one night on their own time not on overtime not on the city's time just for the enthusiasm of getting it done mm. and we didn't have computers in those days okay i mean these the, the drawings these engineering drawings for the layout of the circuit they were hand drawn so that's the sort of leadership he brought uh to us through the years and of course you know the he was campaigning in 75, his 5,000 team, and his, his, his car with Vern Chupin at the wheel was the first car to drive actually on the race circuit in 75. And before that, uh, we had Bobby Unser open up a part of the racetrack, the old, what is today Shoreline Drive. That's a bit of a hilarious day for us. Hold on. Are you saying Bobby Unser did something that was slightly askew? Uh, I've never heard such a notion before, Chris. But to your point, I mean, in a normal world, right at this moment, you and I would be standing outside in the atrium area uh, in Long Beach, uh, enjoying some cocktails with uh, brothers and sisters, uh, getting ready for the RRDC dinner. And a couple hours from now, uh, Thursday evening, we would be raising a glass to toast the Big Eagle, Dan, and I'm sure Sterling Moss and many others we have lost recently. So just yet another reminder of the traditions that flow from what was created uh, by the two of you and many others. I mean, Phil Hill is a big supporter. We know that. Why don't we move, Chris, to the choice of the first racing series to kick off the Long Beach Grand Prix? I think for those who know the history of the event somewhat, they know it was Formula One, then IndyCar. Well, we didn't actually start with Formula One. How did we arrive at F5000? Well, we actually backed into this thing because the decision was made by the CSI, which is the forerunner to what is today's FISA, right? 
um, they decided that the second race in the United States had to be as far away in time and distance as possible from the existing Formula One Grand Prix at Watkins Glen. So you had basically Watkins in in late September, early October. That put us back into uh, into March, April, March. So that was decided that 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 time frame in '76 would be the first the first Formula One Grand Prix. But before that, we had to run a uh, we had to run a proving race because you had to prove to the FIA or the C, the the the, uh, the CSI in those days that a, a new circuit was capable of running a professional motor car race. So the series that was the, 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 as close to as equivalent to uh, to Formula One was the Formula Five Thousand series in those days. And so the it was decided by the SCCA and their partner, sanctioning by the USAC, that uh, the Formula 5000 race would be the first uh, proving race and that uh, there was a slot in the calendar in late September when the, the when the, the cars and the teams were out here for the end of season at, uh, at Riverside and Laguna Seca, that Long Beach would be tucked in on September the 28th uh of 1975 so we really sort of backed into it um but it was also coincidental because you, you know as i, I said uh, earlier that uh, dan was campaigning a 5000 yep. car he may have cars. been a high volume producer of those vehicles as well yes yes and he had uh, he had shoe driving for him and i think he had elliot forbes robinson if i remember correctly uh, also and so this whole thing sort of miraculously sort of fell all together and uh, you know we, we i mean one would like to think it was careful planning but it was not that careful planning our, our part it was kind of well this is what you've got to do if you want to have that this is what you got to do so you know what we were i wasn't bright enough to understand any other alternative so that was your that that was what we did and uh, we ran the the 5000 race on the weekend of september uh, 26, 27, 28, and uh, it was one of those very, very hot weekends in Southern California. Hot September weekend, the temperatures were up in the mid 90s, upper 90s. But it turned out all well and good, and uh, we uh, we got it under our belt. And uh, the, the 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 powers that be of international motor racing uh, liked it and uh, said, okay. Greenlight Formula One, March 28th, 1976. So we were on this, uh, if you will, we were on a, a vehicle that was driving itself. We were just riding, trying to stay up with it. And of course, that's how we, that's how we, we started. That's how we backed into 5000, which was actually a very, very good series in the, in this, in the mid seventies. And, uh, we uh, we were fortunate enough to uh, to have a, have a very good race here. And what was really interesting about it, Marshall, was that at the the following races at Riverside and Laguna, both those circuits had the largest ever uh, crowds since the Can Am days. Wow! So it was it was a win for everybody. You know, the 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 fear that if we did a street race, we'd put a, the permanent circuits out of business. That did not happen. To the contrary, it helped everybody. We made new fans because, fortunately, we were able to take the product 
to the people. We brought, instead of driving out in the countryside uh, to Riverside, which in those days there was not a freeway all the way out there, and or to, uh, to go to Monterey to see a car race, uh, all you had to do was drive down the 710 freeway in Southern California, and you'd end up in Long Beach. And so it was, it was literally taking the product to the people. Fascinating era here where Formula One really takes hold. And granted, at this point in time, we had Formula One East, West. You know, F1 was, uh, was turning up quite often uh, during this era in the U.S. A lot of great memories, of course. And then we moved to the Kart IndyCar Series. Share, if you could, Chris, about how Formula One came to no longer uh, be the series of choice for Long Beach. Uh, yet, a, yet another, I would imagine, uh, potential collapse that you had to work your way through. Yeah, I mean, Bernard was building Formula One. He he had his vision for Formula One, and he was he was building it, and and it was they were transitioning from the days when when the race circuits used to pay individual show up money, starting money to the race drivers and the car owners to where Bernie was able to package all the drivers up uh, and the teams up and then go to the, the organizers or the venues and uh, get, get, get fees, get a demand for money and transportation. So um, we started off, Around about in 1976, I think the first Grand Prix cost us 575,000 bucks or something in that area. And all of a sudden, in we, we got up to uh, to 1983, and uh, we're paying uh, 1.75 million. Mm. And these are the days before major corporate sponsorship, before you had all this corporate hospitality and things, and and ticket prices were very very reasonable. I mean, you know, you could go to a baseball game for five bucks and uh in the la market which is one of the toughest entertainment markets in the in the world uh you've got to be competitive with your pricing so our pricing you know we we try to edge it up to pay for it but sooner or later the the costs of improving the circuit and bear in mind marsh all the time that as formula one was growing in, you know, the, 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 the cars to race the cars were getting more expensive, but the demands on the circuits was getting more and more expensive. You know, the, the safety demands were getting increased and the technology was coming in and you had to put, spend all this money every year on upgrades. And we were, you know, having almost gone broke after the 1976 race, we were sort of, you know, working our rear ends off with the place being packed. I mean, we'd have like 97,000 people in the joint on Sunday and 85 or 86 on Saturday and 65, 70 on Friday, we were sort of, sort of finding ourselves, you know, at the end of the day, only making about a hundred to $200,000 profit. Wow. And, uh, you know, one bad day, one bad weekend, and, uh, we were being toast, you know, we would have been completely upside down. So we, we basically, uh, agreed with Bernard to disagree and, and, and Dan, at that time, if you, if you recall, um, Dan was one of the founders of, of CART. Yep. He'd written a white paper on CART and, uh, you know, on, on how the CART series should go. And uh, so he was intimately familiar with, with CART. And uh, he, 
he basically said, you know, why don't you take a look at this? And so we did, and we talked to the city, and we had one more go with Bernard, and uh, he was not relenting. And uh, so we made the decision, and uh, I gave John Frasco my word and shook hands with him, and uh, that was Thanksgiving of 1983 in Detroit, and we were committed. And ironically, the man that actually put Formula One and the Long Beach Grand Prix, although it was not yet the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach, on the map was one Mario Andretti in 1977 when he won in Colin Chapman's Lotus at Long Beach. And then when we came back in 84, lo and behold, none other than Mario wins in 84. So that was very fortuitous. The timing was right. There was sort of kind of romantic, if you will. Uh, the media loved it. And uh, we, uh, we set off on a new journey. Perfect man to write the forward for the book as well, Mr. Andretti. Very kind of him. So let's close on this, Chris, again, knowing that would love for folks to read everything uh, contained in those 320 pages. There's a huge boom for the race that also coincided with Kart's big boom in the 1980s, continued through the 90s and such. But want to close here on this big phase for Mario, for Emmo and little Al. I mean, this was, boy, it became not just a race, but such a hugely anticipated event each year because you have the living legends now on the streets of Long Beach in these massive dogfights, packing the house. I mean, tell, tell us about this era. I know it was electric. My first visit there as a young crew member was... I'm a little hazy whether it was 90 or 91 or something like that. But having watched as many as I can remember preceding that, I just know that it looked immensely electric as it started to build with Cart's rise. Well, there was a, there was the, the event kind of took on a character of its own from the very start with formula one. There was a sort of you, when, when you came in the circuit, even on Friday morning, there was a, a feeling about it. There was a buzz about it. You know, there was a feeling of anticipation that something interesting was going to happen. And it, it, it really, um, the, the, the venue and the event itself became kind of magic. And it became a, a very important social thing for many people on their calendar to come to it. Because it was, yes, it was motor racing. Yes, it was speed. Yes, it was glamour. Everybody was watching everybody. You know, everybody was sort of keeping an eye and sense of look at these people having fun and aren't we having fun? And, and uh, you know, we had lots of music and remote the radio stations doing remote broadcasts. And, and it, it just attracted um, a very interesting audience and very, you know, there was, I mean, let's face it. There were some very, very lovely ladies who were very easy on the eyes walking around. And when you get a lot of ladies that are easy on the eyes walking around, you tend to have a following to them. 
And so it started to sort of grow and grow, and then we changed it in in the in, shortly after Cart uh, came in with IndyCar in the in the uh, in the late eighties. We 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 moved it more into a family type thing, and uh, with lots of other activities, the Motorsports Expo. So we we kind of it, you know people that were with us in in the seventies who grew up and got married, and then they had kids. All of a sudden, we found them coming back as our customers but they were bringing their 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 13, 14 year old kids with them so it just sort of seemed to morph into a, you know just, just a very very unusual weekend and of course it went from just being a three day weekend as, as you know Marshall it turned out to be almost a week because we had lots of charity events going on around it and we were raising a lot of money for the less fortunate in our society, and it all added to the the sort of the anticipation, the the the, the glamour, the the where to be. You know, if you if you wanted to be seen, this is where you had to be to be seen. So, and the media coverage was huge, as you as you as you know. I mean, it was just staggering. Even even though it wasn't Formula One in the eighties and nineties, we were still getting media coverage in Europe and in Australia and uh, Japan and all over the place. So it was, it, it, it was, it was just uh, quite phenomenal. And, and I would like to, you know, to say to you that, Oh gosh, we designed it that way, but we didn't, it just happened. You know, we kind of, we, we baked a cake here and, and everybody everywhere ate some of the cake. Mm, this so is it was fun. Oh, well, this is just, again, it, it this is, American tradition is what this has become. And that's maybe the thing that I continue to think on and, and continues to resonate. It's a race, but this is not just a race. It's one of a handful of events in North America uh, across all variety of motorsports where this is a true institution. Uh, it is a legacy event not only for its past, but attending each new one and just adds to that legacy. You think about how many folks who take pride in the numbers. Ah, this is my 37th. I started coming here in 1981 and I've never missed one. I mean, this has just become brick and mortar part of who we are. So great. Well, I thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. And I thank everybody that uh, over the years that uh, supported us and bought a ticket and came to our event and, Allowed me to buy new shoes for my kids on Monday morning. <laughs> it's, uh, I'm very grateful to them, and and, and uh, you know that which I hope I hope that they enjoy reading the book. Gordon's done a wonderful job of bolting it all together. And uh, as I as I said to you, Marshall, that uh, anybody who wants to uh, invest in a book on on uh, the racer, on racer com. yep, I will be happy to sign that book to those people. Chris Pook and the History of the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. Read it. Use it to do bicep curls. You can do squats with it. You're going to get healthier and smarter when you read it. I, I Trust me. It, it's, an, it's an exercise book almost, Chris. So good on you. Good on Gordon for uh, some fine work here. And thanks, as always, for spending some time with us here on the Marshall Pro Podcast. Brought to you by Cooper Tires and the Justice Brothers.